Kingman Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, July 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2021. Without a doubt, one of our most anticipated shows since we've done this show at 24-7 Sports. Suffice it to say, we are jam-packed. Thank you for being here, whether you're watching live or watching on the replay or listening to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Numbers through the roof. So again, thank you. Oklahoma and Texas may be headed to the SEC. I can't believe the words just came out of my mouth, but they did. And so we've got a lot to discuss, you and I, about potentially the Sooners and the Longhorns on the move. And that is just the beginning of several big life-size dominoes falling in this sport. Don't think there's a lot of skill in predicting where it's going to end up, but I do have several thoughts, like 10 or 15 thoughts I'm going to bring to you. Media days, we have a lot of takeaways. There were some things said that are off the radar because everything else in college sports is off the radar right now in relation to the big, just bombshell news yesterday. But I want to bring them to your attention, so we'll do that before we go off the air. Nick Saban in Alabama, when they came to SEC media days, there wasn't really a huge kerfuffle, and you know how rarely I use that word, but... There was something overarching, and has been for a while really, about Nick Saban's presence and how he's treated in college football, both by media and fans. I never thought I'd see it, but yet it's happening. So I'm going to discuss that. And also, lost in all of just the debris flying around in the world of college football today, it was a recruiting rankings update day. And you may say, oh, that pales in comparison. Well, you know, eventually we're going to play football games and not just talk about realignment and NIL and transfer portal. And there were some big moves today. We had a new rankings update released here. Not only that, I counted at least three, Colin, at least three big commitments today. So we're going to recap that at the very end. I cannot stress in strong enough terms, make sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram at Late Kick Josh. I told you this morning, if you listen to the Late Kick Extra podcast, there are some things coming very soon on that Instagram page, specifically that you don't get anywhere else. There's a lot of stuff on Twitter you don't get anywhere else. So I would encourage you, I mean, if you're into following college football accounts, go ahead and follow that. Let me give you a little story. Sad times here in Nashville. Director Colin and I, through no planning, work out at the same gym, or we did. Well, they shut it down on us abruptly the other day, so there I am. I joined a new gym, which will remain unlisted for now, and I'm working out yesterday. And there goes the eye, Josh. Ping, 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 ping. Now, one of you who is prone to fooling around with me says, what do you think about Oklahoma and Texas? I thought you wanted a Big 12 prediction this year. So I said, well, I think OU will win the Big 12. Spoiler alert. And I think Texas, I mean, you know, they got some work to do, but they got a good, talented roster. Sark can do some stuff in year one. And then I saw the other 15 texts I had gotten in the past five minutes since I started a set on leg press that said, no, 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 no. What about them in the SEC? So I think we're playing hypotheticals. No, we weren't. We were playing a full-blown bombshell of a Wednesday afternoon that uh, really transpired nationwide, but it stemmed from a Houston Chronicle article. So a lot of you, I mean hundreds and hundreds, potentially thousands of you, have hit me up and asked, what do you think about this? Let's dive in. Oklahoma and Texas could be headed to the SEC, yeah. Not in anything other, well, in everything, actually. It's college sports, so everything goes. Colin, here we go. Do you know where your teams are tonight. If you are the Big 12, you do not. Pete Thamel, tweet, as of 5.17 p.m. Central Time, Oklahoma and Texas are not on the Big 12 call this evening. So as you can tell from that tweet, there was a call arranged this evening for Big 12 member institutions in which they're going to plan the future. There are two notable absences. One is that Longhorn logo. The other is that OU logo. And this comes on the heels of yesterday's Just bombshell afternoon of reporting, started with the Houston Chronicle, several other major outlets confirmed it independently, that it looks like Oklahoma and Texas are leaving for the SEC. So if you can't find them right now, 
it appears the knapsack is flung over the right shoulder and they're hitching a ride to Birmingham, Alabama. I cannot state in strong enough terms, and this is not hyperbolic, this was some of the biggest news I can ever remember hearing or remember happening in college sports. And I'm thinking over my lifetime, not just over the past 10 years or as long as I've gotten to cover college football, over my lifetime. Because what are we really talking about there? And then think about what this will mean. This is not just two teams potentially moving. This is taking the sport of college football and turning that thing completely upside down. Because this is coming. I think this is inevitable at this point, and it's going to happen. The audience response, as I told you, has been unlike any other singular topic that's ever happened on this show. When they announced the potential playoff expansion, I did not get as much feedback as I've gotten on this. So I've got several thoughts, and let me just kind of hit the common list that a lot of people are talking about. I think it's going to go down. If it goes down, I certainly think you can start writing the obituary of the Big Ten Conference as you've known it. Now, Director Colin and I were out in the newsroom a second ago, and we were asking, well, what does this mean? Is the Big 12 going to cease to exist? No, I don't think it's going to cease to exist, or it doesn't have to. But we're talking about taking the two alphas out of that conference. Regardless of what you think about Texas' level of play any given year, that's not what this is about. There's been a lot of short-sighted conversation out there right now. How would Texas fare? How would they do against this team on the field? This is That's four-month thinking. This is a 40-year decision. It's huge. It's overarching. Several coaches from now, this will still be in place. So I'm not really concerned with what it means, ironically enough, on the field, even though that's normally what we like to stick to. But the Big 12, man, I have no clue. I have no clue, but I'm going to get to that at the very end because we're talking about the SEC here. Certainly, uh, this is a crippling blow, if not an outright death blow to the Big 12, unless they form some sort of merger, which, again, I think is a distinct possibility or even a probability. How did this get out? That was the first question I had. How did this get out? Everything's about timing. A&M rolls into SEC Media Days. They are, it seems, the only program that brought their athletic director with them who was ready, willing, and able to offer talking points right coinciding with this story. Who leaked it? Well, it is widely believed in our neck of the woods that Texas A&M leaked this to the Houston Chronicle. Now, whatever. If it's true, it's true. But what's the motivation there? Well, it's pretty obvious because Texas A&M, not too long after this leaked, was not shy about finding the nearest live microphone and saying, well, we don't want Texas in the SEC. I hope we haven't been unclear about that. We don't want them over here. Uh, Horns down emphatically. In fact, if they were to take a vote around this conference, which it turns out they will have to, it actually seems that's how the vote will go. It's not the thumbs up or thumbs down. It's the horns up, horns down. And I think we got a horns down out of College Station. Having said that, I'm going to get to my next point. This is not going to come down to a yes-no vote. You'll probably get a 14 out of 14. That's not the way these things are handled. You may have some dissension. You may have some pushback. But by the time this actually gets to a vote, by the time you see a publicized vote, you're going to have a unanimous vote. That's the way this is going to go. And I can tell you there is no one, and I've spoken to as many people as I can, there is no one who believes that the powers that be at A&M have enough collective support to knock this thing off the rails. Way too much money involved, which is absolutely what this is about. In case there were one or two of you out there still unaware, they're going to get the votes. Don't worry about the votes. They'll get the votes. Texas politicians, I don't think, are going to be able to get in the way of this. The political forces that existed in Oklahoma last time that got in the way of conference realignment are no longer in place. And so there's a lot of greenery, in fact, in a lot of areas right now that's allowing this. I don't think political forces are going to stop it. I don't think administrative forces are going to stop it. But it could be stopped. I just think it would come at the conference level 
maybe somewhere in the ACC or the Big Ten or the Pac-12. But look, my bet is that this is going to happen. And my bet is that very quickly, seems this is moving pretty quickly, I think very quickly we're going to hear some kind of definitive word on this. I don't think we can overstate enough how big this is. So you and a lot of us have been imagining over the past 24 hours, what would the SEC look like with Texas in it? What would the SEC look like with Oklahoma in it? And it's popular to talk about how you would realign the conference. It's popular to talk about who would play who in a given year. Would you expand your conference game per year model? Would we play eight? Would we play nine? Would we play 10 like we did last year? And that's a conversation that can be had. Just to be honest with you, that's not where my mind's been. Where my mind's been is college football as a whole. I grew up in the South, so I'm an SEC guy. I make no bones about that. But I'm a college football guy, too. Love the sport as a whole. I grew up, I watched Oregon State football when I was growing up. If it was on, I watched it. So I have a healthy appreciation for the sport and for the kind of natural preserve that we've had that has been college football for a long time. And look, there is a lot of change going on in the sport right now that has precipitated this. So I'm going to speak on this for a couple of seconds because this is my big takeaway. I'm not a huge fan of this. Albeit it bolsters the SEC, our show will make a ton of money off this. I will benefit from this. Director Collin will benefit from this. Our company will benefit from this. I am not a huge fan of it. So you can think of me what you will about that, but I'm going to tell you why I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm just not you know, speaking out of one side of my mouth and having not thought this through. For a long time, you listen to a lot of people around college football cling to the model of amateurism. And they clung to it even as they wink and nod at each other and understood, oh, well, this is really not just about education. This is really not just about these kids coming to school and happening to play football after hours. Everybody understood that. It's kind of like in pro wrestling. People know it's choreographed, but you wink, wink, and nod, nod, and you suspend your disbelief for the betterment of the product and your entertainment. Well, in this world, the college football world, the reason they had to cling to amateurism for so long is because it was the only regulator standing in the way of law of the jungle taking effect. It was the only check and the only balance really standing in the way of the shark devouring whatever it wanted to. So think about where we are now, because a lot of people have waved a pom-pom for NIL, and I'm not opposed to NIL. A lot of people have waved the pom-pom for the transfer portal. I'm not opposed to the portal. We have covered both extensively. I just want to ask you, take a step back, forget about the matchups for a second, forget about how attractive the games on Saturday would be for a second. Are you a fan of a team? Are you a fan of a conference? Or are you a fan of college football? Because that determines your perspective on this. I'm a fan of college football. I don't like this because I certainly don't like where it signals the sport is headed. When you remove amateurism, which is eroding by the second and the powers that be understand it all too well, when you remove it, you have removed the last check and balance that has always kept college football from being treated like any other thing because it's a fully commoditized world now. And you know what happens in a fully commoditized world? Just that. Everything's a commodity. And so the only thing that's ever separated the SEC and Amazon or the SEC and GE or the SEC and Google within the context of college football was that thin veil of amateurism. It's gone now. You have torn down the dam, the shark's in the pool, it can eat whatever it wants, and the biggest shark is Greg Sankey in the Southeastern Conference, and they're going to town now. And so let's talk about 5, 10, 15 years down the road. What do the letters SEC mean? The letters SEC could be becoming synonymous with just the letters CFB. You think about what companies once were and what they become, and they become what we call conglomerates. 
in the football sense, I don't know if people realize how close we are to that happening. You look around and you say, oh, no, Josh, this is just the beginning of the super conference era. Of what? What are you looking at? Our buddies over at College Football Nerds tweeted this out about an hour ago, and I agree wholeheartedly with them. That's an illusion. The super conference illusion is that there's enough to go around where we form four super conferences out there. There aren't enough quality programs to go around. You have seen what's happened. You have seen who has it and who doesn't. And even in the Big 12, you're just taking two teams out of that conference. We're talking about the Big 12 possessing so little remaining juice that they either got to poach themselves or they just implode in on themselves. There aren't enough brands out there to formulate four legitimate super conferences. I'm telling you right now, I don't think there are enough big brands out there to formulate three super conferences. And so ask yourself this, because your answer may be yes. If it is, we just differ. Are you comfortable with a future of college football existing where you just have the SEC and I would guess an entity like the Big Ten and it really becomes a lot synonymous with what the NFC and the AFC are? And you've done so at the expense of many a program that had a story and a history and tradition all their own that used to be able to survive that because of the new law of the jungle in college football is no longer able to survive. I understand how this works in the business world, in the economics world. I understand it. You don't need to come in here and explain capitalism to me. You don't need to explain markets to me. I get all that. But here's what I also get. I love the sport, and I also know that when we drive around Nashville or you drive around Atlanta and near where I grew up, there are natural preserves in pretty much every major city in America. What is a natural preserve? A natural preserve is where a collective society has looked and said, well, you know what? It's nice that we have this thing here. So let's set up special checks and special regulations to where this little thing right here, even though we could demolish it tomorrow if we wanted to, we could go hunt down everything in there tomorrow if we wanted to, we had the capability, let's let this stand. It'll be a little island unto the rest of society that's moved on, but we're going to let this stand. That's what college football has been for a long time in the world of sports. It was different. It was unique. We have celebrated it, and more and more so, we have sped up the process that erodes every bit of that. Are you going to get outstanding matchups because of a move like this? Certainly you are. I'm not arguing that. Will I be excited just like the rest of you when we watch the University of Georgia go into Austin, Texas, or we watch... Oklahoma march into Bryant-Denny Stadium? Absolutely. I'll be there on the sideline with bells on. You'll be watching at home. You'll be in the stands with bells on. You're erasing, and we're in the process of watching get erased a lot of what has appealed for a long time about this sport. And let me also tell you this. I remember I was watching a documentary a couple of months ago about Johnstown. I believe it was Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Big flood up there because of a breach dam back in the day. It was the biggest man-made disaster in the United States, I think until 9-11. This happened in the late 1800s. And there was a town, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Happy community, but they lived in constant fear because upriver, a few miles, there was a dam. And they were constantly on guard, always had warnings, and it was a boy who cried wolf sort of deal. Well, finally the dam broke one day. It killed most people in the town. That's graphic, but very metaphorically, in the world of college football, the only reason that many programs, I'm not talking about Alcorn State, I'm talking about many programs that have contended before, many programs that have played for conference titles before have been allowed to exist on the same footing as the University of Alabama and Ohio State and Southern Cal and the like is because of the regulation and because of the check and the balance that's in place because of amateurism. When NIL came along, 
when the transfer portal came along, folks like Greg Sankey, folks like the powers that be at Texas, Oklahoma, and many more that you haven't heard go on record yet, they saw the flag shift. They felt the winds changing. I'm not bemoaning or demonizing Greg Sankey at all, by the way. He's just reacting to the change in the weather. He knows if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And so they're going to suck a lot of that oxygen out of the room. And I'll tell you what else they're going to do. And this is going to make it infinitely hard, if not impossible, for a lot of these fabled four super conference models to exist. They're going to suck a lot of the TV money oxygen out of the room. They're sort of first in line. All these TV contracts are coming up. Greg Sankey is the most powerful person in college football right now. The ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 have brand new commissioners. Bob Bowlesby is thought to be on his way out in the not-too-distant future in the Big 12, and you've got a shark, a great white shark. Could be a 20-footer, could be 25, three tons of him, but you got one residing in Birmingham, Alabama, and there is not much separating Greg Sankey in the world of college football from Jeff Bezos in the business world right now. That's your college football that a lot of people have pushed for, I'm partially guilty too. I'm just saying, before you start drooling and salivating about the potential matchups we have here, ask yourself, is that really where you want the sport to head? Uh, My answer is no. That's why I was not particularly thrilled when this news happened, but I do think it is a landmark moment, for better or for worse, you know where I lean, for college athletics. Having said that, now let's wipe away all the cloudiness. There were some happy times this week. It doesn't all have to be doom and gloom. I know a lot of you are excited about that. Look, I just share a different perspective. I would be happy for you to talk me off the ledge. I would be more than happy. But I move on now. Media days this week, all over the country. Media days happening. I think the Big Ten runs through tomorrow. So we've had our boots on the ground all over the place. Some things really stood out to me, and I don't know in a lot of cases if they consist of the big headline grabbers. But there were some things that happened. And you may think, let me just, there's nowhere else I can start. I got to go to Indianapolis. You may think, when you look back on history, the folks that run the Big Ten have to be embarrassed, right? You may think that leadership went into protective custody. They're just hiding somewhere out near Scottsdale, Arizona. But at the very least, there has to be some egg dripping down the face. You would think so, wouldn't you, with the way last year ended up turning out. Then we go to the transcript. I'm scrolling through Twitter today, as you do when you wake up early in the morning, and there is Chris Hummer covering Big Ten Media Days, fresh off the presses, a quote from Kevin Warren. And that quote, this is Dabo, we're going to use that later on. So I I apologize, I kind of teed that up. We have that that's going to happen in a few minutes. Kevin Warren is speaking at Big Ten Media Days. That is the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. And so you think, oh, there's got to be a lot of regret in that guy's head, right? Oh, man, I can't. I just bet they they can't wait to atone for the massive screw-up that was last year. Kevin Warren, if he could redo 2020, he would make the exact same decisions. Uh, So that's where the leadership in the Big Ten is. You've got Greg Sankey forming Gulf Coast version of Amazon down in the SEC, and you got the Big Ten saying, I think we handled that pretty well. You know, we postponed the season. We said it was a final decision. Then people didn't follow us. Then we didn't give out any guidance. We didn't release any kind of substantive statement for 11 or 12 days, which seemed like an eternity. We got punked by several other conferences. Then we reversed our decision, but we made people play in empty stadiums all the while. Halfway full stadiums were the reality elsewhere. There were no ramifications on the negative side of things for those conferences. And after all of that, we'd do it the same way again. Yeah. So, do you see what I'm talking about, by the way? When we're talking about the whole conference realignment, that's the kind of competition Greg Sankey's up against. That's it. 
How low is that fruit hanging to the ground? I've never seen a pinata scrape the ground until I listened to a guy like Kevin Warren, who I firmly believe, I texted someone this who was at Big Ten Media Days today. I asked them, reach up and do me a favor and just grab Kevin Warren's nose and squeeze it twice. Because I want to hear if it goes, onk, onk. that's what I wanted to hear. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to leave it alone because we, we banged on the Big Ten enough last year. But here's what I also heard today. Dabo Swinney stepped to the podium at SEC Media Days, or uh, ACC Media Days. And I don't know what you did with your summer, but I think Dabo Swinney spent his entire vacation time just watching late kick videos. Because this has been about two or three times this week that I have heard Dabo Swinney essentially take late kick transcripts and just read them. That's essentially what he was doing. And not that that's a bad thing, not that anything's wrong with that, but there were several quotes that have been pretty outside the lines observation it takes that we've had on this show that Dabo Swinney has apparently bought into. Now, there were others that I'm not going to get into for the sake of time, but now we can roll the Chris Hummer tweet. So I'm looking at Hummer, who's covering ACC Media Days, and he had one of Dabo's quotes, and look at this, lo and behold, Quote from Dabo Swinney, now we're going to 12. He's talking about the playoff. And you've basically become the NFL. Now it's truly all about the playoff. I think you'll have kids opt out of the playoff, to be honest with you. Director Colin, does that sound familiar? It sure does sound familiar to me. And I I got beat around pretty good publicly for stating that. I don't care. I'm going to end up being right. I don't like it, but I'm going to end up being right about that. But Dabo Swinney also sharing in that sentiment. Now, the pushback quickly, to reiterate, that I got on that. And it may be out of context, so you can go back and watch the video. But I told you, I just simply don't think that you can decrease the scarcity of something, in this case, a playoff spot. So we go from 4 to 12. I don't think you can decrease the scarcity and just maintain the value. See, everyone's looking at it through current lenses and saying, no one's ever going to opt out of a playoff game. Do you know how valuable those things are? Yeah, I do right now. That's why no one opts out of the four-team model. And initially, no one's going to opt out of the 12-team model. But see, the assumption out there that I think is misguided is a playoff spot will just always have the value on it. It has. But what about when we get three or four years in and we've developed a pattern? And what if that pattern is the eight seed, nine, 10, 11, 12 seeds go into first or second round games as three touchdown underdogs and they just get bludgeoned? They get the walls painted with their blood. And then all of a sudden we start referring to those games as somewhat meaningless playoff games. The same thing some of you guys participated in when we started talking about bowl games being meaningless bowl games. Now, we assume because there's a postseason apparatus and there's consequence attached to this model, that will never happen. But I think if you're really quiet for a second, you may hear a faint echo of dissent, not amongst fans, maybe not even amongst coaches. But Dabo Swinney said his team wasn't on board with the new model, and he wasn't alone. You notice what Mac Brown said? Mac Brown said... Our team's not on board with it either. Kenny Pickett up at Pitt. Not that they'll probably be involved in this conversation one way or the other, but Kenny Pickett, a third team this week, kind of came out and said through their quarterback, well, I don't really think anyone cares what we have to say about it. It's about money, and so they're just going to do it. Does that sound like a glowing unanimous review and endorsement of an expanded playoff? So that could be anecdotal, and I'm not telling you every player is against it. Quite the opposite. I think most players are for it, but most players are for bowl games too. It only takes a few to end up creating a trend, but that's okay. It's going to be a few years down the road before we find out either way, so let's table that. How about Shane Beamer staying in the Palmetto State there? When Shane Beamer got hired at South Carolina, I told you I love it because I think 
It is what we call a culture fit, which is unique to college football. Some things still are. Sam Pittman at Arkansas, unique to college football. Shane Beamer at South Carolina, I think unique to college football. What I mean is these guys probably don't fit in many other places, but that's okay. They only need to fit at their current place. Now, here's the reality, which I think we all know, even those of you in Columbia, South Carolina understand, no football game was played this week. But yet there's a ton more optimism coming out of this week about Shane Beamer, which is largely what happens when people who don't break down the game for a living are exposed to you talking. If you're smooth, you win over public sentiment, and they write a lot of positive articles about you. I guarantee you Eli Drinkwitz is going to have the same thing done with him, only he's a year in at Missouri. So there's a lot of optimism all of a sudden. There are a lot of people buying into Shane Beamer after this week that weren't beforehand. Now, reality is nothing changed about him, but we already bought into the culture fit aspect. And I really hope it works out there. I hope it works out because I, that's one of those layers that exist in the college game that does not exist in the pro game. You get fired from the Jets, you can go coach the Chargers next week, and it would feel the same. It's a bubble. Every NFL market is a bubble, and they all just feel the same. It's all the same game. In college, it's not. Maybe becoming that way, but it's not yet. And so I'm really pulling for Shane Beamer. Now, Pat Narduzzi up at Pitt, a lot of shout-outs for Pitt tonight, I think he's been hanging out with Dabo Swinney a little bit. Colin, I didn't even tell you this. So Pat Narduzzi steps to the podium. I, I know my audience pretty well. I don't think many of you were glued to this press conference. But you know there are two words we have hated on this show with a white-hot passion, and that is who's in. And that is the marketing slogan for a certain four-letter network that owns the college football playoff, and they have beaten you over the head with it for the better part of a decade now, much to the chagrin of myself and much at the expense of the value of the regular season. We're talking in August, commercial break, who's in? We got a game in week two, commercial break, let's take a look at the updated playoff seedings. Ridiculous. Well, Pat Narduzzi is looking around, like most of us, and he understands the bowl season has probably been irreparably damaged or irreparably given the current state of affairs. But that doesn't mean it has to be damaged forever. We just have to change the state of affairs. Now, about three or four months ago, I started advocating on this show for a revenue-sharing model in the bowl system. And what that would consist of is, based on the tier of the bowl, you have a certain pool of money that we are going to share with the participating players that play, that are willing to play in the game. And so the first thing I wanted was a pre-decided upon revenue share model. This is exclusively for a bowl game. It's not for the regular season. We have to draw a line. We have to collectively understand that a bowl game is treated separately, which I don't think would be a big problem now that NIL is in place too. And so the bowl partner, the media partner, the TV partner, the bowl game itself, you raise enough money and you set it aside and we're going to divvy it up amongst the players who agree to play in the game. However, you have to incentivize winning, too. This is not some exhibition. And so I'm giving 75% of that prize pool to the winning team and 25% to the losing team. Well, lo and behold, Pat Narduzzi's fully on board. I don't have the full quote, but he talked about this today. And he said, we cannot put, I'm paraphrasing, the toothpaste back in the tube. Of course, we would just like to go back and try things a different way. Let's not call bowl games meaningless. Some of us never did. But let's not even institute that phrase into the college football vernacular. But we can't go back. So how do we fix it from this point moving forward? Well, the way, in my opinion, one of the only ways you fix it is you've got to put money on the line. You've got to put some skin in the game. That's the language we have taught college football players to speak. That's the only one that matters now, right? And so you've got to put some skin in the game. Now, you may not like it using 2008 methodology, but we're not in 08. 
We could change things if we were in 08, or we can make sure things don't change. But we're in 2021. Things have already changed. So we have to adjust to the adjustment or get left behind. So I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'm with Pat Narduzzi. I'm with Dabo Swinney. Good week for the synergy between Late Kick and ACC head coaches. However, there is one head coach that we've always had some synergy with, but he's not in the ACC. He is in... He's in, the, uh, he's in the SEC. I have right now, keep in mind, I am on air. Colin, we're, we're live every Sunday and Thursday night. I have 46 text messages since we went on the air. Are those close friends? I'd ask you this. Are those close friends of mine? Because they know what I'm doing. Uh, some of them work here, by the way. They know what I'm doing. And they're texting me. It's like, it's like texting me at 1113 every Sunday morning. You know, good and well I'm sitting in church. And I'm using the Bible app. I'm not texting you back right now. Text me. Later, text me when I get out. So you let me know in the comment section. I mean, are those real friends? Are, mm, I've got my thoughts on that, but I digress. Let's move on. Nick Saban's role in college football is what? Fill in the blank for me. What is Nick Saban's role in college football? I want to ask you two questions about this guy. This guy. Um, Nick Saban, what is his role? What do you think about him? What comes to mind when you hear the name Nick Saban? And this is like four questions. And also... How has it changed? How has your opinion of Nick Saban changed over the past 10 years, maybe even over the past five years? And I'm not talking about Bama fans. I know how you feel. And I may not be talking about Auburn fans, but pretty much everywhere outside of that, there's been a shift. I think a lot of you have noticed it. I've talked to several people about this, and everyone, when you start talking about it, they say, yeah, I have noticed that a little bit. So if you work in our business, to give you a little behind the scenes, there are some metrics that are kept. It applies to Oprah, it applies to Bill Maher, it applies to Sean Hannity, it applies to Nick Saban, any public figure. There are metrics kept, and it's basically a recognizability rating. Now, different companies have different names for them, but what they're essentially trying to gauge is when we mention you to any random group of 500 people on the street, how many of those people recognize you? And obviously, the bigger your profile, the higher your recognizability rate. But there have been things that have changed that should make it harder to be more recognizable. The first thing that's changed in just the American entertainment landscape is saturation. The other one is polarization. If you were alive in 1975, you can tell the story about how many options you had for entertainment versus what you have today. They have increased 5,000-fold. You have in the palm of your hand, if you have an iPhone, I have an iJosh, but if you have one, you have more in the palm of your hand than any TV set ever gave you in 1975. And even if you had the phone, it would have been useless in 1975. Well, the point is, it was a lot bigger to raise that recognizability score really quickly in 1975 because there were far fewer options for people to go to to seek out their entertainment. It is extremely hard to go from scratch, to go from zilch, in today's entertainment landscape, with as saturated as it is and as many options as there are, to being a huge, widely recognized figure. But he's done it. And the second thing is we are in the most polarized period socially in the history of our country. I think a lot of that has to do with what social media and similar platforms have given you, and that's the ability to really superficially debate. By superficially, I mean these debates are never tangible in substance. It's just it's window dressing, it's, it's icing, it's very little cake. But yet it still leads to a lot of people disagreeing on stuff. And so if you say the sky is blue, someone's going to say it's purple because how are, who are you to define blue? And yet through all that, Nick Saban, in what is a polarized world in and of itself, sports, 
has raised his likability rating as he wins a bunch of titles. Now, you tell me how that happens. And that, I think, is the answer to the change in not only his his stature in college football, but I think his role in college football, too, because he's done the impossible. He's transcended all of those barriers that kind of stand between someone and achieving mass recognizability outside of his world and also increasing the likability in the process, which is why I think he should run for public office, by the way. So I want to ask you again, what is his role? And what does he mean when you hear the name? What does he mean? Because that Q score has risen a lot. So I was reading Cecil Hurt's work, who covers the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Tuscaloosa News and uh, does it better than anyone has ever done it, for my money. And he was writing about SEC media days. And he was talking about Saban, and he said, Nick Saban gets treated totally different these days, and has for a while, by media, by fans. When every other coach rolls into these media day settings, they're asked about the left guard. They're asked about, what do you think about your chances at the playoff this year? And they maybe ask some big picture, overarching type questions. What do you think about the playoff? When Nick Saban is in a public setting, they don't even ask him about Alabama football anymore. They ask him about college football. He is essentially treated as the president, for lack of a better term, of college football. He gives a state of the union of the sport. And Cecil Hurt was talking about this a lot because he covers him locally. And so when they meet locally as the assembled beat in Tuscaloosa, sure, they talk about the intricacies of the team. But Cecil Hurt pointed out, you know, he only mentioned five of his players during the entire speaking portion of SEC Media Days. Guys, they're replacing eight on offense alone. Nick Saban mentioned five players total. That's how little the assembled media cared about Alabama football in relation to the much bigger picture issues that are on the table. And that was before the Oklahoma-Texas stuff ever even bubbled up. And so it's just, it's fascinating to watch because I've felt things shift on this in the last five years. I've I've watched Nick Saban and the way he's handled a lot of things. I think a lot of other people have. And I think a lot of people have seen the way Nick Saban has handled some stuff. And even if you don't root for Alabama, they've come to develop this appreciation for the fact that, number one, you know you're witnessing something truly generational. Something that even if you can't stand Bama football, you'll be able to tell your kids about or grandkids about one day. I think that the way they evolved on offense, plus what he told you was coming offensively and what it was about to do to college football, That validated. What he said was going to happen about the playoff, it validated. His warning about the transfer portal, it has validated early on. I think what he says about NIL is going to validate. The way he's handled discipline in his program, I think, is a lot more respected now than once upon a time when it was more misunderstood. I think when he went off on that deal, when they had the transfer from Georgia, Jonathan Taylor, I believe it was, and he talked about Moose Muhammad and how he handled him at Michigan State and what it means to give guys second chances, and the difference between punishment and discipline, that resonated. That still today gets circulated. That is one of the best recruiting tools that I have ever heard, and he really didn't mean for it to be a recruiting tool, but he's also shown adaptability, and I think he handled last offseason in multiple ways, as well as any head coach on planet Earth. And so I think a lot of people have gone from hating the dude because he wins a lot, to accepting that it doesn't matter how you feel about him. He's going to win either way, so you might as well appreciate it. And then some fan bases out there, correctly, they look and they say, okay, he's the best of all time. We understand that. Nick Saban's do not grow on trees. But why can't we be a little more emblematic of what they have at Alabama? 
And that's made it uncomfortable. It's made it uncomfortable for a lot of places to look and say, it's Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This is not Beverly Hills. It's not like they just have the ability to print money relative to us. We have the finances. We can build immaculate facilities. We can hire the coaching staff that you tell us you want. It's just hard. When you get measured to that, it's really hard. But I think there's a lot of appreciation that I don't think existed. Even five years ago, I don't think it existed like it does right now. And it's always interesting because I've been in those rooms. You would be shocked if you sat in those rooms at media days or you sat in any kind of press availability. When he walks in the room, everyone tightens. Everyone shuts up. There are some guys that have to walk up to the microphone and say, hello, hello, we're ready to start. Not Nick Saban. And the uh, other irony is, in terms of physical stature, going to be one of the smaller guys in the room relative to other males, and yet he's the biggest dude in the room too. It's always funny to watch. I took a buddy one time who had a passing interest in football but didn't understand the magnitude of what he was experiencing, and that's what gobsmacked him the most was the respect all these people have, these seasoned, grizzled veteran reporters. It's like the preacher has walked in and they shut up. Church is about to start. That's kind of the way it is when Nick Saban walks in, but I think a lot of other people share that now, and I don't think they did uh, very long ago. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Okay, it was a big day. It was a really big day for a lot of whispers and rumors. It was a very big day in the conference realignment rumor world, but it was also a huge day here at 24-7 Sports. Several major recruiting moves today. We've had a bunch of commitments, but today was also a rankings release day. In retrospect, I bet they wish they pushed it to Friday. But today was a big day now, so I want you to pay attention because I'm going down this list really quickly. You cannot take vacation anymore. You take your vacation time if you work in our business and you just you just light it on fire. You can't go anywhere. You can't afford to turn away. Look, when has when has the off season? When has it happened? We said it wasn't going to happen in February. I didn't know that we were speaking it into actual existence. I was just telling you, we on this show are not going to take one. But it turns out no one took one. You got several major commits today. So let me run down this list. Just since this morning, here's what's happened. Branson Robinson has committed to Georgia. That's a four-star running back. He is out of Mississippi. This is the sixth verbal commitment for Georgia in this class. And that gives them 12 commits right now. The important thing to pay attention to with a program like Georgia is it puts them at .936 average player rating, which means if they continue on that trajectory, uh, that's going to be a slam dunk top five class, which is funny because in the inbox, the old late kick inbox over the past week, I've had people asking me, what's wrong with Georgia recruiting? Answer, probably not much. I know what the talking points are, probably not much. How about Danny Dennis Sutton to Penn State? Penn State has been rolling in July unlike any other program. This is their ninth verbal commitment in the month of July. The Nittany Lions are ranked number two in the country right now per the 24-7 sports team rankings. That's a four-star defensive lineman. That's the highest rated commit in this cycle for James Franklin. And this comes off the heels of them picking up two big-time running backs. And Penn State's at, what are they at? 21 commitments right now. And they got the number two class in the country. So they're not quite done, but this is a big-time player now. 
I, I was reading our scouting report. I don't have time to detail it because we have several other guys to get to, but that is one to be very excited about if you're a Penn State fan. Omarion Hampton also commits today. He goes to North Carolina. This is a four-star running back. Six foot, 215-pound range. That is North Carolina's 11th commit. Dalen Everett, you know, there were a lot of folks talking, will they be able to land him? They didn't. Clemson wins out. Uh, but they have dusted themselves off quite nicely here. So North Carolina is on the climb. They have not, I think, hit stride in this class quite yet. Uh, They will finish, I think, inside the top 15. I think they're just outside the top 20 now. Okay, those are the guys who committed today. But as I said, it was rankings release day. And there are some huge movers. Always the first thing that you want to look at when we update our player rankings at 24-7 Sports is you want to go see who moved where. Well, You can either manually look back over the last class and say, okay, he was rated there and now he's rated here. Or you can just listen to what I'm about to tell you because these are some of the biggest movers. Four-star Isaiah Bond. He's an athlete. He's already committed to Florida. He jumps from 237 to 149. He's out of Buford, Georgia. Again, let me emphasize, a Florida commit. He's a track guy. He's a two-way player. Talk to a lot of our guys. I mean, they honestly think Florida could play him either way. I'm sure they've gone a long way down the road of discussing with him which side of the ball he's going to play on. But Isaiah Bond jumps to number 149. Four-star corner, currently committed to Texas A&M. Bobby Taylor goes from 214 to 150. Again, these are very big jumps. He's an A&M commit. Our guys love his size. This is a corner, 6'1", 180. They call that prototype size. That's what they call that. And he was at the opening invitational. Okay, and he blew up the opening invitational. And you're going to notice a common theme with a lot of these big risers is we did not have camps for a year, and now a lot of guys are getting out in these camp settings, and they're getting eyeballs on them for the first time since they were freshmen or, in this case, sophomore, and you're just, you're just seeing different guys. I can guarantee you Bobby Taylor wasn't 6'1", 180 last time our guys saw him. So he jumps very nicely up into the top 150. What about four-star wide receiver Keon Graves? This is a one of... I can't do the math that quick. This is one of the biggest jumps we've seen. From number 111 to 47, he's an Ohio State commit. Opening Invitational, just like Bobby Taylor, shined at the Opening Invitational, and that's the kind of jump you can see when you really tear up those camps. Great separation, but also there's a word that a lot of our guys use when they're talking about him, him being Keon Graves, Graves, that they don't use with a lot of receivers at the high school level, and that is technician, especially when they're superior athletes. Very few have that blend because they've gotten away on athleticism at the high school level. But he has elite ball skills, really good separation, but he's a technician. Probably has a lot to do with why he just jumped firmly, not only into the top 100, but into the top 50. We continue. Four-star defensive lineman, Grayson Halton, Oregon commit here from Southern California, San Diego to be exact. He goes from 235 to 172. That's an athletic big man. You can never have too many of them, and especially at Oregon, they're starting to stack those linebackers, those defensive linemen. They're starting to stack those guys, and what you think about with Oregon, when you start seeing those big athletic body type defensive linemen go there, I'm not just thinking about that's what they need to beat Washington. That's what they need to beat Southern Cal. Both of these things are true, but if you're Oregon, you're thinking about how you fare and how you match up against Ohio State, not just this year, but in years to come. How do you match up with Clemson if you get on the field with them? Well, the only way to find out and to be anywhere close to being in the same neighborhood as those programs is to have players like Grayson Halton. you got to have a lot of them, but you got to have big-bodied athletic guys, and you have to be able to roll them out there in waves because that's what they're going to do against you. We continue. 
four-star defensive end, outside linebacker, kind of an edge-type player. Jihad Campbell, he goes from 92 to 30. This could end up being a five-star guy. He's committed to Clemson right now. Our guys think he'll probably play in the 6'4", 225 to 230 range. Very long, extremely athletic, doesn't give up one to get the other. And he popped in the IMG spring game. We have talked a lot about IMG Academy over the past week. Now, Campbell was already committed before last weekend, but he plays down there with a lot of those other big names like Keon Saab, uh, Dalen Everett, for instance. Those two just committed to Clemson. This is pipeline city right now for the Tigers. So Jihad Campbell jumps from 92 to 30. And the last one I wanted to touch on, this is one to keep a close eye on because I, this is me talking, not our recruiting staff, I don't think the climb with this guy is quite done yet. Four-star quarterback, Devin Brown. He was outside the top 24-7 or top 2-4-7, and he goes to 180. He's a USC commit. And a lot was made about you know Malachi Nelson, who's a 2023 guy, leaving Southern California to go to Oklahoma. But USC did a really good job recruiting quarterback last cycle, and this is coming up in this cycle. So they are not hurting at the quarterback position at USC. It's more a matter of principle when I talk about watching those big-time talents leave Southern California. But he's a big mover because he shined at Elite 11. And like I said, I don't think he's done climbing. That's my personal feel on that. And so Devin Brown goes all the way up to number 180. You can see an article with all of these updates on the front page of 247sports.com right now. Our staff, man, they were waiting for a long time to get back out on the road. Now they're finally back out on the road. And so you got uh, Wolfong and company pumping out article after article after article. I think you can tell that we have long since shifted into regular season mode around here. And in the coming two weeks, two or three weeks, August 3rd, I think tentatively, is what we have circled to go to the three-show-a-week format. So we'll be Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night live. I talked some on the podcast this morning, and I'm not going to do it a whole lot now here, but I talked some on this morning's podcast about why we structure things the way we do, why we handle the show the way we do. So I would appreciate if you went and listened to that, if you're curious, uh, but I just wanted to again reiterate, there are a lot of things positive happening for our show right now, many of which you're about to see in the coming weeks, that are because of you, and so we appreciate it. Because there are a lot of things we always wanted to do, but we didn't know we were going to be able to do that we're not going to be able to do because of you. So you'll love it. I mean, it's all really geared towards uh, giving you what you want. But thank you so much. So make sure you are subscribed to this channel if you're watching on YouTube. Make sure you are subscribed and giving five-star reviews on that podcast. Colin, I didn't tell you this. Did you know our podcast, which wasn't even a priority when we started the show, has climbed into the top 10 in the nation, in the world for football? I think that's pretty good. I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but you guys should because you've done that. And those five-star reviews, I think, have helped a lot. But I told you, our listenership's really hockey-sticking. So thank you for all of it is what I want to say. Now I want to get out of here because I actually want to have a voice for Sunday night. So for Director Colin, for our entire crew doing a great job down in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. We're almost there. Have a great start to your weekend, and God bless.